You're listening to a message from Heritage Christian Fellowship in San Clemente, California. For more information, go to heritagesc.org. Our vision statement is to experience the presence of God in the power family. And I don't know about you, but recently, the last, I don't know, several months, there, feel, there seems to be a heightened awareness of God's presence, especially on Sunday mornings. You know, people are coming up for prayer. We're, we don't have to twist their arm. <laughs> and it's been great, you know, and you're just, you come away just feeling more in love with Jesus, and it's feeling really, really good. And that is what we want, is we want to experience the presence of God. And the other thing we want is to experience the power of family. And we've sort of been focusing on it recently. The last couple of weeks, we've been indirectly talking about that. Like Lon, about three weeks ago, he talked about kingdom family. And he, he, he basically challenged us to switch our allegiance from a me first to an us first. It's a, it was a challenging message, but a good message. And then Talar Moy gave her testimony, amazing testimony, kind of a blockbuster sort of testimony about, you know, growing up as a Muslim in Kurdistan and coming to know the Lord and coming to Heritage. And this has been the only church that she's ever known for 20-some years. And, you know, just the power of the Christian family, of the church family, has really made her and her family what they are today. And then last week, Scott Bailey, he basically talked about the head of our family, which is God. <laughs> and what a wonderful father he is, loving, merciful, and just so wonderful. And, and so today, you know what? I, I want to actually invite Ann Margaret up real quick because, you know, it feels like the, the whole power... Come on up, Ann Margaret. This is sort of impromptu. It feels like the whole power of family is permeating. And I'm just really proud of how you guys are responding. So we were just talking. I said, you should share this with the congregation. And I was like, okay. <laughs> um, yeah, as I was reflecting on um, Friday and Saturday as I was driving to church, I was telling Peter, and I was just so, so grateful, so honored to be here um, Friday night with the youth, you guys. So I'm on staff, so sorry, <laughs> I didn't expect to get emotional, but I see a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff. And just to see when we when we asked for help, um, donations with the community groups and, um, and other individuals for a live auction, it was just so amazing to see how generous you guys were. And I hope in that, it was also actually fun putting together those baskets. Some baskets were so big, they had to make two. So, I mean, it was just, you guys rallied around the youth, and um, we, I know as a body, we're better for it. So thank you for that. But then we had a memorial yesterday for Nancy and Joe's granddaughter. And so we had this amazing night on Friday night. And yesterday, you know, the way the church rallied around Nancy and Joe and their kids was so beautiful. You know, we're not an events uh, production company. <laughs> And yesterday, um, you know, the, uh, the, the, what we did for them, what they wanted, you know, we wanted to do so excel uh, excellently, and we couldn't have done it without you guys. And we didn't even really have to ask. I mean, their community group calling, saying, what can we do all week long? People calling, saying, how can I help? And we're saying, be here early, and we're going to tell you what to do. And um, 
the, the daughter-in-law who was in charge of the memorial for the family, when we gathered around and she saw the people that had come to help serve them, she got overwhelmed. I had been working with her. She was, you know, a tough cookie. But when it came to that moment, she looked around and she said to me, I'm overwhelmed. And she goes, the, the amount of the love and family I feel here, and this isn't even my church, but she, but so it permeated from Joe and Nancy on down to the family, and uh, the parents didn't even have to think about a thing yesterday, and it was beautiful to see us greeting, ushering. Uh, It was like a restaurant out in the back. We're picking up tables. We have people washing the linens. I mean, so so from behind the scenes, I just want to say thank you. Um, It it was, it, it is like family. And then I just have to say, you know, seeing people step up and send our new young family, Ben and Jean, meals, um, they don't know anybody. And people are showing up on their doorstep with meals. They're completely blown away. So I'm seeing the Power family. I'm so grateful. And um, we're richer for it. And so I just wanted to share that with you guys for people who don't know all the, the ins and outs. So thank you. Thanks, Ed, Margaret. And that's the power of family. And you know what? This year we really felt that one of the things God is, is allowing us to do is, is we're in a bit of a rebuilding stage. And so we are focusing a little bit internally and on our family. Um, but at some point, you know what? We want to extend our reach in the community. And we don't want to be all ingrown. And we want the family to reproduce. We want kids. And those are new births in Jesus. We want to invite the community to come more in here. And we're going to, we're going to plan doing outreaches and stuff too. But that, that's to come. But, but speaking of the power of family, one of the key ingredients to maintain a healthy family, which is a powerful family, and that's what I want to talk about this morning, is the idea of forgiveness. In families... We're close, we're with each other, and oftentimes in families we see the good, the bad, and the ugly. And without the key ingredients of forgiveness, the power of family can be deflated really quick. So I want to talk about that today, and I want to look at a parable that Jesus told in Matthew 18 that really helps us put proper perspective on forgiveness. And the parable found in Matthew 18 deals with lots of family issues that happened in families, such as how to deal with hurts between people, how to resolve differences that we sometimes have, and how to heal breaches that frequently come between families and church families. You know, I once heard uh, someone say that Christians were very much like porcupines on a cold winter's night. The cold drives them to huddle together to keep warm, but as soon as they get close to one another, they start jabbing each other with their spines that forces them to separate. So they're they're forever in this dance of coming together and then separating and then needing to come together. Uh, Ray Stedman, who was a a famous pastor, he pastored over 40 years, he had a, a telling poem, which I thought was interesting. He said, To dwell above with saints we love, oh, that will be glory. But to dwell below with the saints we know, well, that's another story. (laughs) And it's true, we have these wondrous ideas of heaven and all the people here, and and we're going to be in heaven, and it's one big party, and and then all of a sudden we go to reality here on earth. But forgiveness is the virtue 
we most enjoy and least employ. The, the, it's the, what we most enjoy and least enjoy, employ. We all love to be forgiven. We expect it. We want it. But we find it a struggle to forgive. We resist it and oftentimes actually refuse to do it. We are like the little boy when he was saying his prayers. He went down the list of his family asking God to bless them, and then he, but he omitted his brother's name. And his mother said, well, why didn't you pray for Johnny? And he said, well, I'm going to ask God to bless... He said, well, I'm not going to ask God to bless Johnny because he hit me. And his mother said, don't you remember Jesus said to forgive your enemies? But the little boy said, well, that's just the trouble. He's my enemy. He's not my enemy. He's my brother. <laughs> So perhaps many of us have the same difficulty forgiving our brothers. You know, if we look at this uh, scripture in, in Matthew 18, uh, Peter, the apostle, he, he did it. And he, you, can, you, you know it because of the question he asked. In Matthew 18, as Jesus, he had been dealing with questions of relationships with those who belong to him. We find Peter coming to Jesus with a question. And that's going to be our text today. That's found in Matthew 18. And I'll show it here on the screen. It says, Then Peter came to him, to Jesus, and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Actually, some people speculate that Peter was actually talking about his, his, his real brother, which was Andrew. Andrew was also a disciple of Jesus, and, you know, Peter was always very open and transparent, so it could have been he's actually asking this question in relation to an issue with he had with, with, with he had with his own brother. Perhaps he was like, you know, Andrew wouldn't share the remote. <laughs> or, you know what, uh, Andrew always tried to take the limelight, and, you know, that's something that Andrew has done ever since they were boys or friends or kids, always irked him. And he keeps doing it, and it just builds up. And he finally is saying, Lord, enough. Do I, have to, can I, do I have to forgive him even if it's up to seven times? And actually, Peter was thinking, you know what? He was pretty righteous by saying seven times. Because back in that day, um, the rabbis taught that you only need to forgive someone three times at the most. And the fourth time, you could do whatever you liked. <laughs> that's actually what was taught back then. And the Pharisees, actually, that came, the Pharisees were teaching that too, and it came from a misinterpretation of a, of a passage in Amos. And so Peter, he's like, you know, he feels like he doubled that, like, norm of three times, and it's seven times, so he's probably feeling pretty righteous about himself. And then some find humor when Jesus said, Peter, would you believe 490 times, 70 times 7? And what Jesus is saying here is not a question of how often or how many times should I forgive my brother. That's really not the point. That's not the question. There is a deeper matter here. And the real question is, why should I forgive at all? And I want you to ask that question to yourself if there is someone who's caused an offense, maybe it's on the way to church, or maybe it was 25 years ago, and you still remember the details of that offense, that's when you know it's real. And I've met a lot of people 
20 some years later, five years later, they can recount detail after detail of the, the conversation of the event that caused the hurt. Isn't that funny how we have that kind of selective memory? And I really feel that the Lord wants to bring freedom in that area to some, some people here today. You can't go through life, you can't be a porcupine huddling with other porcupines and not get stuck. I won't, I won't show, ask a raise of hands here, but I'm sure everyone has got stuck from time to time. And the Lord is asking us to, he, I think he wants to bring this to our attention and bring us freedom in that area. So the, real que- so the question is, why should I forgive it all? And this is what Jesus is showing Peter. Basically, he's saying to Peter, why, when you see why you should forgive, then you will see, Peter, that there is no limit at all, that forgiveness is the kind of thing that ought to go on without limit. And Jesus only chose this 490 times kind of as a play on word. But it really suggests that what Jesus is saying is we need to have unlimited forgiveness with each other. So to answer that deeper question, should, why should I forgive my brother, Jesus gives this parable of the unmerciful servant. So let's read it in Matthew 18. We'll continue. In verse 23, Therefore, and it's a parable, Therefore, the kingdom of heaven, Jesus says, is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had, and that payment be made. The servant therefore fell before him, saying, Master, have patience with me, and I will pay you all. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave his debt. And it goes on in verse 28. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, and he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you all. And he would not, but went and threw him into prison Till he should pay the debt. It's a powerful parable, and the value of this parable lies in seeing that this is actually a picture of us. The Lord Jesus here is holding up a mirror that we might see ourselves. We are the servants who have been forgiven a vast and staggering amount of money, and God is the great king that has forgiven us. The 10,000 talents that initially he was forgiven for is an incredible amount of money. In today's economy, the 10,000 talents is $3.48 billion. I mean, I was up here pulling teeth, grinding, selling, and we got $11,700 on Friday. Can you imagine if you know, our goal was to raise $3.48 billion? We would have already closed shop a long time ago. But 10,000 talents was $3.48 billion. That's more than the gross national product of many countries these days. $3.48 billion. And when the settling of accounts had come, the man was confronted with this debt, and he couldn't pay it. Who could? 
And the king ordered that justice be carried out and that him, his wife, and everything be thrown in jail. And that was the custom of that day. And in desperation, the man makes an incredible promise. I mean, impossible promise. He says, have patience, sir, and I'll pay you everything. And he couldn't do that. Who could pay $3.48 billion? Even if he wanted, he's seeing his wife and his kids hauled off to jail, and he's like, he's desperate. Even if he would have worked the rest of his life. But he cried out, and in desperation, the king was moved by his impossible situation. The king was moved with compassion and mercy. And what did the king do? He said, all right, your debt is forgiven. And so also the king, actually, that was hurting the king. That was money that was owed him, money he could use for his kingdom to do things. He was writing off debt, $3.48 billion. That was to his own um, harm. It cost him tremendously. And we must see ourselves in this if we're going to be helped by this parable. We must see that the sum of our offenses of sins against God through the years of this is the equivalent of $3.48 billion in God's eyes. We have, an, when we're born into sin, we have an impossible debt that we must pay, but we can never, ever pay. And that debt happens from our rebelliousness, our selfish acts, our selfish thoughts, our willful choices, our lovelessness towards each other, our pride, our anger, our lust, our bitterness, our hates, our lies. It all adds up. And all of a sudden we're like, justice is coming, the king is calling us, and our debt is $3.4 billion. And we're like, I can't do it, but I'll try. <laughs> it's impossible. We can't pay it back. But that's where the good news comes in. The good news of the gospel. There came a day for each one of us as believers that we were in the presence of God and the Lord forgave us of our sins and he said, forgiven in Christ's name. You know, I remember the day it happened to me. I remember my dad always said his grandmother, his mom told him that when you're born again, it's like, even the sky looks different and the birds are sweeter. And, you know, when you have that heavy load of sin and you become born again, it's beautiful. And it feels like someone just wiped away $3.48 billion, this impossible thing. And in one moment it was gone and you were born into the kingdom of God and your home is in heaven. And I remember that. How many people remember that day? Amen. <laughs> and... It's wonderful you can stand before God, cleansed of your sin, blameless, free from prison, because your debt is paid and you're a free man. And then Jesus places another account where he says, Jesus talks about something else that happens immediately as this free man, no more $3.48 billion, but he's, he's, he's debt-free, and he goes out, but immediately he went out and he found someone who owed him a hundred denarii. And a hundred denarii 
is the modern-day equivalent of $200. And so he finds this guy owes him 200 bucks, and he grabs him by the throat and says, pay me what you owe me. Give me my $200. And then the second man says the exact same thing, like, hey, have mercy on me. I'll pay it back, I promise. But instead of forgiving him, he throws him into prison until the debt is paid. So what is Jesus saying? Jesus saying is this is what we do when we refuse to forgive other people. And this is hard to do in family. And we are striving for a powerful, healthy family. It's, it's easy to do when it's some knucklehead on the freeway, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, you know, until you get home at least. Um, but it's hard to do it when people you love and you share with that's why it's a difficult thing. But this is, this is what we do when we refuse to forgive others. And the thing is, is it doesn't matter how bad the offense against us is. Some of the offenses against us that we're bitter for are minor things, and others are really difficult things. I'll never forget it. It was on the news. It was such a powerful story. There was this lady... Her son was murdered by like a gangster thug. And it was her pride and joy. She was a single mom and he was like in his early 20s. And she was heartbroken. And so they had the trial and it, it was awful. But, and she was a Christian woman. And somehow with all her pain, she gave it all to God. And God says, love the guy who killed my son. I don't know if you ever heard about it. It's, it's an amazing story. Anyway, somehow there was a miracle like she befriended this guy in prison, and when he got out, she almost like adopted him. And he became her son and, and interviewed both of them, and it was like amazing. So there might be these small little hurts, these little irks, and they've done it like a thousand times, so it like finally builds up, and it's like, okay, I can't handle it anymore. Or it could be like a murder of your loved one. But whatever it is, the Bible says we still have to forgive. Because it could be a $200 debt against us. It could be a $1,000 debt against us. It could be a million-dollar debt against us, but nothing it will ever be like the debt we have against God, the $3.48 billion debt. And these events happen simultaneously in our lives. And you know what? Most of us realize as soon as we become believers, we don't stop sinning. And not a day goes by that we don't stand in desperate need of the forgiving word of the great King Jesus. And again and again, he cancels out our debt as we come to him with our guilt and ask him to forgive us anew. And yet, when someone offends us, how quickly we revert to the basis of justice and start demanding, pay me back what you owe. I demand an apology. I have rights. Give me my rights. Let Let me have what's coming to me. I want you to grovel in your hurt and pain because of what you did to me. I demand to be treated with respect. Whatever it is, how many times have we thought those kind of thoughts when we have offenses against us? In the rest of the story, Jesus reveals two great reasons why Christians must forgive. So let's keep reading in verse 31. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in, You wicked servant. 
Wouldn't that be awful if God called us that? (laughs) He said, you wicked servant. He said, I canceled all the debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. So the two reasons revealed here why we we must forgive each other are, first, we have been forgiven so much, billions of dollars worth. And if we don't forgive others, it's nothing less than hypocritical. And we should ask ourselves that question of verse 33. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? That's what Jesus is saying. We must forgive one another, each other, because we have already been forgiven. And this is what Paul said in Ephesians 4. He said, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. That is the basis of Christian forgiveness. Jesus, said, Jesus says when we refuse to do this, when we hold a grudge or are difficult or bitter or refuse to settle an issue or to forgive or forget, then we are doing exactly what that wicked servant is doing. We must forgive each other because God has forgiven us. And the way we can tell if we're not being merciful like this servant, is how harshly he acted. Did you notice that? That's the invariable mark. When we are demanding justice and not acting in forgiveness of mercy, that is frequently our problem. We demand of others that they act in a way that we ourselves could never achieve. And harshness creeps into our voice. We are severe and unbending, rigid in our demands. We speak severely and sharply to each other. And the servant, he took him by the throat and he says, pay me what you owe me. And isn't that what we do when we don't forgive? It's almost like we're taking him by the throat and holding on to justice that we have no right to hold on to. That's always the mark is when we're speaking harshly to each other. And the problem is the spirit in which we do it. What Jesus, Jesus says um, But what Jesus is saying is forgiveness is possible because we have been forgiven. Um, Because this vast and staggering debt against us has been wiped out by the grace of God, we also have the capacity of forgiving also. And these words are not addressed to anyone who's not a Christian. You know, this is, he's, he's, he's addressing believers, Christians. And we live by a different set of rules. And the power of a Christian family is they are tender towards each other. Forgiving each other. Non-believers may forgive an offense, but there's never that tenderness that follows. And they might let you, they might something go, but there's also a spirit of hardness, especially in today's world when, when they let things go. But Christian forgiveness eliminates that hardness. And the inner attitude is changed, and there is an acceptance of that person an understanding and sympathy extended that permits an honest look at the problem and opens the door for help. So just because you forgive doesn't mean you don't walk alongside that person and try to help them get better. 
And the second reason Jesus said that we must forgive each other is because unforgiveness leads to torment. Unforgiveness leads to torment. In, in Matthew 18, in verse 34, it says, In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. And this is a further implication of Jesus' uh, talk on, um, in the Sermon on the Mount when he said, but if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. That's a scary thought. Sometimes people misunderstand uh, this passage and say that unless you forgive others, I won't forgive you, but that's not really the case. Jesus was speaking to people who had already been forgiven by God, it is addressed to those in whom the Spirit of God lives, and therefore God knows that they have the ability and capacity to forgive. But just Jesus is saying that if they will not exercise forgiveness, or if they insist upon going back to the ground of justice with others, well then that's the way God will handle them. Which is a scary thought. If we insist on justice, we will be given justice ourselves. And I don't know, I'd much rather have grace, wouldn't you? How many, how many worship songs do you hear that, about justice? No, there's, it's all about grace. <laughs> but yet with others, we live in justice and we forget about grace. And, it said, and, and James even said, judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. So there's this parallel. How we treat each other, somehow we get that treatment back from God. But the result will be that we are delivered to the jailers or torturers, which is interesting. And this is a quite an expressive phrase to describe what happens to us when we don't forgive each other. It's an accurate description of that gnawing agony of resentment and bitterness that takes hold of our soul. The awful feeling of the nagging sting of hate or envy that can live inside us when we hold on to unforgiveness. It's a terrible feeling, and you can't get away from it. We can't escape it, and we find ourselves powerless to avoid it once it starts creeping in. And that's being delivered to the jailers or the torturers. Every time we think of them, we've, we've in, inside we, we feel this acid of resentment and hate eating away at our peace and our calmness. You've been there? It's awful. And this is the torturing that the Lord will say will take place. If you talk to guys like Stuart Greer, who are in deliverance ministry for a living, they see a lot, like unforgiveness as open doors for the enemy's uh, strongholds in our lives too. That's why in Hebrews 12, 15, uh, the writer says, let no root of bitterness spring up trouble you. Notice where the trouble occurs. It hits you not the other person. That's the ironic part, is when we hold unforgiveness, it hurts us. It doesn't hurt the other person. You know, last year, last year was a tough year in, in a lot of ways. And for me, it was no different. And I had an issue with, with, with a fellow believer here at the church and who I felt hurt me and hurt the church. And in my opinion, the guy did something that was really hurtful, mainly in the timing. And I really like this person, but their action hurt me. 
And then, you know, he wasn't around at the church anymore and stuff, but every time I heard his name, it bugged me. And, and then I would hear other people talking and things were going well for him. And I was like, it bugged me too that things were going well for him. <laughs> so I was holding on to this thing and, you know, he was like, he had already turned a corner, was doing great, but I was stuck. Every time I heard his name, it was painful. And then I, you know, I was sharing it with some people and, and they're like, you know, you gotta, you gotta deal with God. And I was like, yeah, I'm the pastor after all, aren't I? <laughs> gotta practice what I preach. So I, you know, I'm up before God and I felt the Lord say, you go meet with him. So we met and it was great. You know, I just let it all go. I apologized, he apologized. Then we met again and it was good, you know? And I just felt this release. And it's interesting you know, for him, he was good before and he was good after. Probably a little better after because we fed him. Um, but, you know, for me, it was freedom. Because when we hold on forgiveness, it hurts us. Um, and Jesus said that if we don't do this, the torture will go on for as many years as you refuse to forgive. It will never stop. So perhaps during my talk here, someone's mind immediately came into, into play. And you're like, yep, I know who God's speaking to me about. But my question is, is, is there someone you need to forgive? And my prayer is, before you leave today, you have laid it down at the altar, the feet of Jesus. So before, this morning, I, I always get up early on Sunday morning and pray and took a little walk and, and I was like, Lord, Search me, because I, I better come in here clean <laughs> before I start preaching on this. And the Lord put someone in my mind, and I just felt like, just put, uh, you know, it was, I, I live uh, on a hill, and there's a pathway behind my house, it was dirt, so I just felt the Lord say, symbolically, just touch the ground and let it go. And I did, and I walked away, and I, I felt a little freer. It wasn't a big deal, but it was just enough that the Lord reminded me. And I'm hoping that the Lord reminds you of somebody here, because we carry these burdens for far too long, years. And like I said earlier, sometimes we remember the details of the offense. And if you want freedom, you have to let it go. And the Lord's power is here today to help you to do that. And Roger Gales, uh, it's interesting, he had a great saying on this. He said, when we hold on to the offense, something inside of us begins to die. It's like gangrene for your soul. Even though you can try to push it down and forget about it, it's still there. It seeps out. It impacts your health. And he says, unforgiveness is like drinking poison and expecting your enemy to die. It's one of my favorite quotes. And the thing that makes forgiveness possible is to remember how much the Lord forgave us. $200 here, $1,000 there, nothing compared to the billions of dollars that the Lord forgave me. That is always our situation. Therefore, if there is a grudge, if you have been harboring resentment, if there's a feeling of bitterness, if you, do not, if you don't want to speak to someone else, if you feel cut off from another, two things will happen. First, we have reacted as, excuse my French, an ungrateful wrench, wretch, sorry, to the <laughs> my eyes are getting a little bad here. Ungrateful wretch. 
got to be careful what you say in church. To the grace that has been extended to us, as this unforgiving servant did. Because that's what he was, this unforgiving servant. He was an ungrateful wretch. Second, we have consigned ourselves to bitterness of heart, which is like acid eating our soul. That is why nothing that will ever, you know, if we can't get this right in the church, if we can't bring wholeness and forgiveness in the church, how can we go out of the church and say, hey, come, come be like us. Be happy Christians. And here we are, bitter towards each other. And you know what? I know it's only by the grace of God. And so I want to call up Gary in the, the worship team right now. And I know this isn't an easy thing to do, especially when the hurts are severe. And you can't forgive without the presence of God and the help of the Holy Spirit. And God wants to touch you and help you get free from your burdens of bitterness and unforgiveness. And forgiveness is the pathway towards freedom. Unforgiveness is a sure pathway towards bondage. So my question is, is will you forgive today? With the help of the Holy Spirit, you can. And the Holy Spirit is here right now. A couple of months ago, like there's been this increased presence of God at our service, like I mentioned. And afterwards, um, I, someone told me a story. There was two people who used to work together here at the church. And there was bitterness. And the one just couldn't let it go. And then God's presence came. And, can, and we didn't speak on unforgiveness at all. God's presence came and touched her heart. And she came to the other, her, co, her former co-worker, and just said, you know what? I'm so sorry for what I did. And it was a beautiful moment. God touched her heart and let her get, get that out. And she had been carrying this on and reliving that offense over and over. But the presence of God gave her freedom. And that's what revival is all about, isn't it? You know, for me, when I see God's, uh, people's hearts changed and softened and letting things go, that's revival. You know, and I love the signs and wonders. I love the healings, and I love all that stuff. But sometimes the hardest thing for people to let go of is those inner hurts. You know, I had a beautiful thing happen this week, too, and I wanted to share it briefly. And I met with Roger and Tracy Gales this week. And Roger, once again, he asked me for, to forgive him for, for the hurts he did to me and for the hurts he did for the church. And he had tears in his eyes, and he had such a contrite heart. And of course I forgave him. And I asked him to forgive me for um, hurts I've done to him and things I've caused that have hurt him. And it was beautiful. And the Bible says, you know, when, when we're humble and we're contrite, the Lord says he doesn't despise that. And we come to the Lord often in our brokenness, and we say, I'm sorry, Lord, and, and he comes and, and when other people come, and, and especially when people hurt you, and then they come and they ask for humble forgiveness, it's beautiful when God works through that. And so I don't know what God wants to do here this morning, um, but I'm asking that the Lord would search your heart. So can, can we pray right now? So there's, there's two people I want to speak to right now. Perhaps you've never 
you're not a believer. You, 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 this whole thing of Christianity, you've never surrendered your life to Jesus. You, maybe you're, you were born in America, so that makes you a Christian, but you've never surrendered your life to Jesus. And you have this debt hanging over you. And you think, you know, you're, you're like that, that one guy. He's like, you know, I promise I'll pay it back. But trust me, you can never pay it back. The only way to pay it back is to give it to God. And he will say, forgiven in Christ's name. If you want to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, in a moment I'm going to ask you to come up and get prayer from one of our ministry team people. And then the other group of people is, yeah, you, you know exactly who you need to forgive. Or maybe it's several people. Or maybe it's a group of people. And, you know, forgiveness doesn't necessarily mean restoring the relationship. Sometimes it's not safe, not wise, not possible because they've moved away or they've died. But you must forgive in your heart before God. And I believe God wants to start that here and then he'll show you what to do next. So can we stand and we're gonna sing this song and as we sing this song or even as I'm talking now, if you wanna come down and do business with God, my, my, my plea would be to don't leave without doing business with God and getting freedom in this area. Thank you for listening. We hope you tune in next week. For more information, go to heritagesc.org.